Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. But they would devote all of their energy, their focus, their devotion into crafting their own little gods. And if you got to craft your own little god, you need to find a bigger god, okay? Because if you can make your god, he's not god, all right? And if, and if, if I look in the mirror and I worship myself as god, which as humans, that's our tendency, you're not good enough. You're not powerful enough. You can't rescue yourself. The dictionary defines God as the ruler of all the earth. I wouldn't argue that. If we're being honest, I would say that none of us even have the ability to comprehend all that God truly is. In today's message, Pastor James is going to be sharing a message, trying to explain who God really is. Even though it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, there are a few key things that give us a glimpse of just how mighty and powerful He really is. There will never, ever be anyone like our one true God. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Hosea chapter 13 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We're going through the book of Hosea right now. We're actually going to finish Hosea tonight. So you can turn to Hosea chapter 13. Hosea is the minor prophets are towards the end of your Old Testament there. You got Daniel and then Hosea is next. Hosea is an, a fascinating prophet. Just very interesting. One of the most like dramatic stories in the Old Testament. Just crazy. Like, God, what are you doing? Hosea, my prophet, go marry this prostitute, this harlot, and, and then they have kids, and, and it's just, his whole life is an illustration of the grace of God. That's a commitment. That's a commitment. I, I want to live my life as a witness, as an example, but that seems like extreme, right? <laughs> That's like, I don't know, Jose would have never been me. I would have never been Jose, because I don't know if I could have done it, right? But God knows he knows his, and he knows what you can handle, and all that good stuff. And Hosea is just devoted to God, and he, he is used by God to deliver this message. It's one pretty much singular message to the nation of Israel, the northern tribe specifically, and a little bit to the southern tribe, but that God's grace is sufficient, and there's time to repent and to turn, and with that comes healing. And it's beautiful. It's a great message. That's actually how Hosea ends this, this letter in 13 and 14, what we're going to see is just more indictments against Israel in the sense of they're sinning against God, okay? So God's going to, he exposes that, but like a, a good heavenly father he is, he likes to discipline his children. Why? Because we need it, because we need it. So let's look at verse one of chapter 13. It says, when the tribe of, I'm going to read from New Living Translation, by the way, uh, And I'm going to clarify some stuff as I go through this. But it says, when the tribe of Ephraim spoke, the people shook with fear, for that tribe was important in Israel, right? The tribe of Ephraim, it goes back to Jacob and his blessings on his boys, and Ephraim being one of the sons of Joseph. Ephraim was going to be a a great tribe, and we see that played out all throughout the, the course of Israel's history. But here Ephraim speaks, the people shook with fear, for that tribe was important in Israel, But the people of Israel, Ephraim, sinned by worshiping Baal and thus sealed their destruction. 
Okay? Common theme throughout this book, and this is the, the prophecy, and, and a lot of Hosea was, was, you know, immediate kind of prophetic type stuff. There's some future stuff within here as well. But God is dealing with their issue of idolatry and their constant turning their back on him and, and bowing down to these carved images and all that good stuff. And so all throughout Hosea, the Lord's just saying, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. And this is what you're doing. This is what you're going to get. This is what you're doing. This is what you're going to get. This is cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. And here it is again. You're worshiping Baal. Verse 2, it says, they continue to sin by making silver idols. Images shaped skillfully with human hands. I like that that's included within there, within the, the, actually within the Hebrew there. It speaks of that, of that what they did was really good in the sense of artistic and all that. They're very uh, crafty. And in these false idols that they would make were well done. Okay, it wasn't just like junk, all right, although it was deaf dumb and mute, right? There was nothing powerful about these things, but they would devote all of their energy, their focus, their devotion into crafting their own little gods. And if you got to craft your own little God, you need to find a bigger God, okay? Because if you can make your God, he's not God, all right? And if, and if, if I look in the mirror and I worship myself as God, which as humans, that's our tendency. You're not good enough. You're not powerful enough. You can't rescue yourself. And God's going to expose all this to his kids that he loves very much. He loves the nation of Israel. As bad as they are, he loves these guys. It it goes on to say, verse 2, now they continue to sin by making their silver idols, images shaped skillfully by human hands, sacrifice to these, they cry, and kiss the calf idols, right? Which is weird, right? But the calf idols, that makes us think back into the book of Exodus when they were fresh out of Egypt and Moses is on Mount Sinai and they think he's dead. And so they convince Aaron to take all their, well, most of their spoils from Egypt and craft a little golden calf for them to worship as God, which seems like he just rescued you. You just went through the Red Sea. Like, he just really dramatically proved that he exists. And you're like, we need a golden calf. We need this thing. We need an inanimate object to bow down and worship to. And so it, this, this kind of plays out through all of Israel's history in one sense. And here they are, they're, they're crying out, sacrifice to these. This term, sacrifice, in your translation, it may be uh, sacrificers or sacrificers of men. It's kind of the, the original language there. And it connotates like, human sacrifices, which in Israel's history always refers to child sacrifice. Always. So, and they've already been busted on this before. In this book, Hosea, part of his message to them, he has called them out for their child sacrifices. We don't offer up children as a sacrifice to the Lord. Okay? He is not pleased with that sacrifice. And in fact, that's an abomination to God. I wish our nation would get this. You can't sacrifice. And, and, and the idol, the altar that they are presented on here and here today is an altar of convenience. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And, and don't worry about, you know, coming judgment on our nation. Hey, hey guess what? We're in it. We're not like, oh, he's going to get us. No, I think God has and is pouring out his justice on us. You don't believe me? 
Look at our leaders within our nation. How did these bozos get in their places? Well, if God put positions people to rule in certain areas, maybe that's part of his judgment. And here, the nation of Israel, they, they were kind of, I mean, it, it just, it's compromise. The surrounding nations, I mean, these were practices from, from some of the surrounding nations, and, and that's crept into to who they were. And God, from the very beginning, was like, I don't, I don't allow that. I'm not okay with that. And for any liberal Christians out there who say, and I've heard them say this, well, tell me where it says in the Bible that you're not supposed to abort kids. I would say, can you please read your Bible? Please. Because it, it seems pretty clear here where God's like, this is what you're doing, and I'm judging you because you're doing this. I mean, if you're, if you're a logical thinker, you just put one and one together, and you're like, this adds up. This is bad. They were doing it. God's pouring out judgment. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that's something we shouldn't be doing. Okay? So, and, and just, just the form and function of how they sacrificed kids, and they did it so that they would prosper. They did it so that they would prosper. Sacrifice them to Baal because he controls agriculture. He controls their lifestyle and how profitable they are within their lifestyle and their businesses and all that good stuff. And yet, throughout the book of Hosea, God has been reminding them, I'm your provider. I'll take care of you. But you keep turning your back on me to a false god, and then you're, you're sacrificing your kids to a false god. And yet, here I am as the great I am who has never failed to take care of you. Verse 3, therefore... Because of this, they will disappear like the morning mist, won't last long. Like dew in the morning sun, like chaff blown by the wind, like smoke from a chimney. You're getting the imagery there of like these people who practice such things, they won't last. They won't last. It says, I've been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me. And God has every right to say that to his people, and especially the ones he rescued out of Egypt. You shouldn't have no other God but me. I mean, that's right there in the Ten Commandments. He says, for there is no other Savior. And here you got a little bit of gospel foreshadowing right there. He's like, I'm the one you should be worshiping. I'm the one you should be turning to. And if you run a, an agricultural business and all that good stuff, you're not praying to this statue for the rains to come. You're trusting in me. There's no other God but me. There's no other Savior. He says, I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. And we see this. This is something that is, it, it, it's not only repeated throughout Israel's history, it's not only repeated throughout my relationship with Jesus, where, you know, you get into the groove of like, things are good, things are good, and you're relying on him less and less and less until the next tragedy happens within your life, and then you're crying out to him. If you've ever been a part of that cycle, welcome. I find myself there, unfortunately, too often than what I'm comfortable with. But it's also an indication, it's something that happens throughout church history, and in fact, in the 90s, um, 
things were going really, you know, economically, I, 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 I don't have all my facts on this, but uh, there was a study that was done concerning churches in the 90s, when economy-wise, things were going pretty good, things were okay, you know, pretty, we're, we're trending up and all that good stuff, but as things were going really good financially for most, giving in the churches was sharply declining. So people were doing really good, getting more money than what they had ever had, but giving less than they ever had. And, it, and it, it reflects this verse where God, it says, when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and you forgot me. And that's our, one of our human tendencies, right? Is we get what we want from God and then we forget about him. And there is a danger that comes along with that. And, and the, the first, first and foremost danger that comes along with that is verse 7. So now I will attack you like a lion. <laughs> like, that's, that's a pretty good, like, wake-up call for us, right? Like, for God to, now I don't think you should walk around fearing like, oh, like God's going to pounce on me like a lion or like a leper or like a bear. All three animals were native in Israel at this time. But God is letting them know. He's like, because you've turned your back on me, I will attack you like a lion. This is now the third time he has referenced him being a lion so to speak, in the book of Hosea, like a leopard that lurks along the road, like a bear whose cubs have been taken away. Mama bear, right? Like you don't mess with mama bears, okay? That's why if you've ever gone hiking or camping in the mountains or lived there, you know, if you see cubs, mama's around, and don't you dare mess with those cubs because then you're a goner, right? Like you don't come in between a mama and her cubs. And probably the same applies within our, our human world as well. Don't become between a mama and her kids, okay? If you've never learned that lesson, that's good. Don't mess with mama and her kids, okay? He says, I will tear out your heart. I will devour you like a hungry lioness and mangle you like a wild animal. This is like good Halloween kind of message, right? You're like, this is scary. Don't be afraid. And I'll, I'll show you why towards the end here. This is a good a check for us, a good wake-up call for us of like, Am I just following God to get stuff from him? And, and let's say he does provide for me, because there is a thing called common grace. And, and once I'm satisfied, then, then I abandon him and I go and pursue whatever else. There's a danger with that. And the Lord's saying, he's like, I'm not going to let you get away. I'm not going to let you get away with this. And, and he's speaking directly to the children of Israel. And he's letting them know, like, he is Hosea, and they are Gomer. Gomer is how we Texans say her name. I think the original technical sense is, we talked about this, Gomer, but since we're in Texas, we call her Gomer. She's in heaven. She'll call us out for that, I'm sure. But the nation of Israel is the unfaithful spouse. And God has forever been faithful. And, and they keep turning their backs on him, and they keep leaving him and to pursue these other idols and all this good stuff. And he's letting them know there's a consequence to this. There has to be because he's a God of justice and it has to be dealt with. And if he doesn't deal with it, then he's not a God of love. The world would have you think contrary to that. They'd be like, no, well, why is, you know, he, he's judging and all this good stuff. And if he really loved us, he'd let us just do whatever we want. That's nonsensical. Because anybody who has kids understands you can't raise a kid to let them do whatever they want to do. Brilliant preach. Um, I got four. I got four kids. And, and 
you know, if, if I were to, we have parameters. And it's most of the parameters that are put in place are for their protection. Are they for their protection? I grew up, praise God for my mom, but she was a single parent. Okay, so she was working like multiple jobs. So I had really no adult supervision in my life um, for a certain. And let me tell you, a kid being raised to kind of get to do whatever he wants is dangerous. The fact that I'm still here is a miracle. Because I was in so many scenarios and situations where I was doing what I wanted to do. And it's only by God's grace that I'm still alive. And here's a loving Heavenly Father who has to pull his kids aside, kind of pull the car over to the side of the road, and he's like, we're going to have a talk. We're going to have a little heart-to-heart. This is what you've been doing, and here's, here's, here's the, you know, the effect of this. Judgment is coming. Verse 9 says, you're about to be destroyed, O Israel. Yes, by me. And I, I like in New Living Translation, it says, your only helper. You got all these gods. You got all these avenues. You're surrounded by all your friends, but in your time of need, who truly is the only one left who can help you? And it's the one you turned your back on. It's the one you've turned your back on. He says, you're going to be destroyed. I, I'm going to have to punish you. And he's like, and, and yeah, it will be me, your only helper. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 9, talks about how the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He disciplines those whom he loves. So don't forsake the chastening of the Lord. Because why? Because it shows you that you're his kid. You're his kid. I remember that was a wild concept for me in Bible college, freshly saved, going into Bible college. And I was just like having, you know, I was disciplined as a child. Make no mistakes about it. I grew up in the era of belts and paddles. So we got them. And I got my fair share of them, both from my mom and in school. Because I was in school during that time, too. Um, you know, some visits to the principal's office, a little paddle. You know, just uh, that's, that was my life. Although my brother got it more than I did. Okay, I'll let you know that. My brother, second oldest brother, lived in the principal and the coach's office all throughout junior high and high school. Um, but there was a strange dynamic for me to, to, to try to grasp in, in Bible college was learning about how the Lord disciplines his kids. And it wasn't that I was against that at all. I actually welcomed it. But it was, so, you know, to, to a certain extent, it was a far, foreign concept for me. Because as a child, I was disciplined. And of course, as I grew older, I became way more rebellious, obviously, without some adult supervision, all that stuff, you get into a lot of trouble and everything. And you always looked at punishment as a bad thing. You know, it kind of works into your brain of like, you know, if I get in trouble, that's, it's a bad thing. Actually, it's a good thing. And in the, in the house of God, so to speak, if the Lord's got to pull you aside to discipline you, that's actually a really good thing because that means he cares about you. And you may be heading down a path that he sees all, he knows all, and he's going to rescue you from catastrophe by pulling you aside and chastening you, so to speak. So it's a, it's a really good thing for the Lord to the fact that he cares so much about us and that he's not a God who is distant as some, you know, agnostics or may, you know, claim or whatever. No, he's a God who's very near and very personal. So if you ever feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit in you, because you're maybe doing something, you should, that's a good thing. That means that you're his kid and he loves you. Okay. Don't think it's like, oh, God's mad at me. No, he loves you. He loves you. 
And he's going he's to he's discipline us. Now, he goes on to say, as he's their only helper, verse 10, now where is your king? Let him save you. Where are all the leaders of the land, the king and the officials you demanded of me? In my anger, I gave you kings, and in my fury, I took them away. This harkens back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 through 9, when Israel wanted to be like everybody else. It wasn't enough to be a theocracy governed by God. You know, they want to look like everybody else. They all have kings and everything, and all we have is God, right? And so they're like, and I can understand their reasoning because, well, we, we can't see you. But all these other nations have kings, and they look majestic, and they're powerful, and all that good stuff. And God's like, you want a king? Okay, I'll give you a king. The first one up to bat was Saul. It didn't really work out. Didn't really work out. He, he, was, he was a tall, good-looking dude, that's what the Bible says. But he was not a leader. He was not a leader. He, he was pretty bad, in fact. And you just read his story from, go through 1 Samuel, and you, you'll see that he was not the best leader. He was in it, really, if, you know, it's who they wanted. Then God delivered to them David after that. David was a tremendous king with his flaws. But here the Lord is saying, like, look, I was never enough for you. I was never enough for you. So you made demands of me to give us this, give us that. We, we won't be happy until you, do, until you do this for us. One of those examples was we want a king. It's not enough that we have you. We want a king. And God's like, okay, I'll give you a king. And then God flips it back onto these guys towards the end here. And he's like, where's your king? Where's the one you thought was going to deliver you? Where's the one you put all your hope in? You put your hope in this thing, you put your hope in that thing, you put your hope in this person. If it's not God, it's going to disappoint. It'll disappoint. And I mean, how many, how many of us have stories of that even just going through church? We put our hope in sometimes the person who's behind the pulpit. And you can't do that. And I'm, I'm begging and pleading with you to not do that for, for me. Because I'm not your hope. I will disappoint. I will disappoint. Why? Because I'm a man. Because I'm a sinful man. Redeemed by the grace of God. Through my faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But I'm just a man. And anybody, I don't care how big the platform is, it's just a person. And they're not worthy of your hope. Now, and we, can, we should be there for each other and, and look up to, you know, I'm, I'm all for that type of stuff. But I've had heroes that have fallen in the ministry. And, and what I've learned from that is sometimes I've put, without really knowing it or recognizing it in myself, placed tremendous amounts of hope in those people. And then when the crash comes, then I'm rocked. You know, it, it's unsettling for me. Now, it's one thing to grieve because sin has taken somebody out of the ministry and all that good stuff, but there has to be these, again, boundaries that are put into place. The one who will never let us down is Jesus. The one who deserves all of our hope is him. The one who can rescue us. Really the one who can come through for us for anything and at any time. The one who said himself, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you.
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of people.